Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits. Oh, the benefits are numerous. We thank God for all that he's done for us in Christ. He's on many occasions has redeemed our lives from the pit, as David says. Redeemed our lives from the pit. He's also satisfied our ears with good things because he renews our youth like the eagle. I like that part of it there. And we are promised these wonderful things. And because one of those benefits is that he's pardoned us. And the greatest of all, he's pardoned all our iniquities. Pardon. Wonderful. In Christ. And he heals our diseases. He does. We wouldn't be here if he hadn't. <laughs> We have much to be thankful for. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to read a few passages now, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to go back. We're going to be dealing with these passages. This is not a book study. This is a topic. No apologies for that. It is, it is a major, the major storyline in the Bible. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a Jew. You knew that. A Jew. The ultimate Jew. The, the, all the scriptures, all the books of the Bible, written by Jews. Have you thought of that? And there's argumentation that Luke may very well have been a Jew, we say, we, we think something that he was the exception. The Gentile wrote Acts and Luke. But we have that. The 12 apostles, 12 disciples. When the Spirit came on Pentecost in Acts 2, it was a gathering of Jews. Oh, we mustn't forget these things. And there's, the, there's a bigger story. There's much to it. That's what we're doing. That's what we will do this morning. We have considered some important elements of this Israel in prophecy. Namely, how did it begin? Going to the headwaters. All right, let's read the scripture. And then we'll pray. And then we'll get right to it. So, if you have your Bibles. I'm going to be reading, first of all, a passage that we began with uh, some weeks back. Read in Genesis in chapter 12. 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, in the movement of the plan of God, we'll go over into the book of Exodus in the 19th chapter. For this is the occasion when the nation gets formed up, the nation of Israel, coming out of the womb of 400 years in Egypt, in an idolatrous culture, and in slavery. And as Israel is gathered at Mount Sinai, and as God gives them their direction, so listen to this. This is in Exodus in chapter 19. Now then, 
If you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And then, if you will go over to the book of Deuteronomy, these are the founding documents of the revelation of God to us. God, the only book God's ever written. And here we are in what the Jews spoke of and still speak of and go to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And I want you to look into Deuteronomy and chapter 4. And we're going, I'm going to begin to read at verse 25. And I'm going to go down and read verses uh, 29 and 30. You'll see it unfold. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you shall surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it. You shall be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you shall be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat or smell. But from here you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress, and all these things have come upon you in the latter days. In the latter days. It's not repeated in the text. I just did it for emphasis. You will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we come to you with overflowing hearts. Hearts, Lord, we hardly know where to begin in giving our thanksgiving. That you have, you reign sovereignly over this planet, over the universe. No molecule is exempt from your control. And Father, we thank you that you've revealed yourself as one that's full of loving kindness. You keep your words, you're truthful, you're gracious, you're merciful. You're everywhere, Lord. Everywhere we go, you're there, always. You know everything. Nothing is absent from your mind, not a thing. You don't have to recall a thing. Lord, these things amaze us. We have such little minds. And Lord, you're omnipotent, powerful, powerful to do what is necessary in exerting and carrying out your rule over the universe. You are indeed. And the Lord, thank you for your grace. We don't deserve what you give to us. Lord, we can't, we can't buy you off. 
We can't bribe you. You're unbribable. Oh, Lord, perfect in all your ways. We thank you. Renew our hearts in that, Lord. Now as we look into your word, as you have revealed to us what the scriptures tell us about Israel, those people that you created, and are with us very much to this day. And we Gentiles, Lord, we thank you that you grafted us into the olive tree. We were wild olive branches, and you grafted us in so that we could experience the blessings of Abraham. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we think of Wes and Laurie Tabor. I see that uh, they're brought to our attention today. I think it's providential that we do pray for them, Lord, that uh, you will, wherever Wes, he's probably speaking today somewhere, and I ask that your spirit will be upon him and give him great effectiveness for Christ's sake, for the gospel's sake, for Israel's sake and their needs for the Messiah. Yes, and for him and Lord, give them unity and joy and wisdom in their counsel this very day. Thank you, Father, for bringing in your people this morning into this place and for what's before us to think about and talk about. Enable us to keep our minds, our minds focused clearly, clearly focused on you. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. On Thursday morning, November the 30th, Hamas terrorists opened fire at a bus stop near Jerusalem, leaving three dead, 11 injured, two Hamas terrorists, who drove to the great Givat Shaul junction on the outskirts of the holy city in an armed vehicle and opened fire on an unsuspecting victim standing there. A 73-year-old rabbi, 67-year-old woman, and a 24-year-old woman. Why? Why? Listen, every day it's some encounter we have with people being shot every day. But why were they shot? Because they were Jews and for no other reason. No other reason. What has made Israel a people with a target on their backs? I know I have two, I have really two sermons and I have to be careful I don't try to preach them simultaneously this morning. One is, as you see before you, the suffering of Israel. Why is this? How? Let's see how it unfolds in Scripture. We're going to move along four movements here. You have them before you, if you notice the outline. We're going to do a little swapping around at the end, and I'm going to make the fourth thought process we will go through. I'm going to come back to that, and I'm going to put the conclusion before that. I don't want to get you confused. Believe it or not, I planned this out. (laughs) And I want you to see that. I want you to appreciate that movement. Well, let's get back to this this issue. The Jew in world history. How do you explain it? The Jew is in an unusual situation. You know, if you've read your Bible any at all, you notice that you early on, you can see that there were concerted efforts to destroy Israel. Did you pick that up in reading the scriptures? Remember the Amalekites? Those cousins of the Israelites through Esau, they, they went, in Exodus 17, 
They went after Israel to destroy Israel. And you know what? They got in some serious trouble for that. That's a story. It's a sermon all its own as to what happened to them. Exodus 17 and following. And then, how could you miss it in the book of Esther? <laughs> While Haman, that uh, instrument of the evil one, he's planned for the entire, all of the Jews in Persia, modern Iran, to be destroyed, to be eliminated. Well, that's a story for another time. Didn't work. Didn't work out so well. But why do we have these kinds of things? And of course, we mustn't forget that Israel came out of Egypt in a womb of suffering. Right at the, from the very beginning. Suffering, suffering. The story of the Jew is one of suffering. Why? Well, as I said, I can't, the, the second or the simultaneous sermon is to understand this, this long hatred, the longest, as some say, the longest hatred there is, the hatred of the Jew. And that's worth considering, and with the elder's permission, I'd like to treat that in a, an adult Sunday school class this month. But here we are going to go along these lines. Let's consider this, how Israel's suffering has been carried out through the centuries. The first, very first thing is that the creation of Israel through Abraham was a call to blessing and suffering. I read the passages to you, which should have opened this up. I could have read, and should have, I will now, uh, the passage in Revelation. Remember that we did this, it was the first message in this series on the, the woman, the child, and the dragon in Revelation 12. Very, very important and strategically placed there in the climactic, climactic book of the scriptures telling us this. And when, this is 12 and 13 of Revelation. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. Well, the dragon here in this is these symbols are setting forth the dragon as Satan. The woman, Israel, who had given birth to the male child, Jesus Christ. But the woman, well, goes on to say she's given two wings of the great eagle so she might fly from the serpent and so on. But you have, a, you have it documented there that the devil has been after Israel actually from the very beginning, even in the garden. I don't, Satan's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And yet he does know some things. He wanted to keep Genesis 3.15 from becoming reality. That the, the seed of the woman whose heel will be bruised will step on and crush the head of the serpent. All right. So what do we have unfolding under this, the initial story of Israel? Well, we find immediately Satan's hatred of the seed of Abraham. It really does unfold, and for a casual reader who's not paying close attention, you may miss these things, because you can see what happens in the opening chapters uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, Abraham seems to be just a little halting in his going into the land that God had promised to, to him, and you can see that he's making some decisions that are quite dangerous, taking along his nephew Lot and what Lot chose to do with his, 
the, church, the real estate he wanted, where he wanted to live in proximity to Abraham, the land that God had promised him. And then there was that Ishmael episode. Oh my, you know, do you know the significance of that? Uh, it, was, it was stupid. Sarah and Abraham colluded. Well, this son's a long time coming that the Lord promised who would be the one through the seed would be carried, the, the seed, the hope of Israel. So it gets a little sordid, soap opera-ish. And what do we get? Ishmael, that wild donkey of a man. That's, what the, that's the way he's described. And so from him, uh, his progeny, his children, his descendants, they are they're not under any curse. No, 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 no. It's just that they have a temperament that's going to enter into yeah, I'll, I'll keep it at that. They're going to have a temperament that's going to cause some real difficulties for Israel in her future. And so there we have some of those experiences in the, of Israel in the early days. This spiritual warfare was really incomplete in the incomplete possession of the land. You know, you go into Joshua and you say, well, why didn't Israel just march right in and just, why didn't they have a 10 and 0 season? They start out, and they're 0 and 1. And why is this? Well, disobedience to God. They had to get themselves back on track. Well, after Jericho, there was I, and they were presumptuous at I, and, well, you know the rest of that story, the incomplete possession of the land. They didn't get all of it. And then there is the scattering of Israel through her captivities and the rejection of the Messiah. Read your Old Testament. What's most of it about? Well, a significant portion is that God raised up the prophets to come and speak to Israel. Why? They, would, they couldn't stay between the lines. The lines of God's moral his revelation, who he was, his loving kindness, his commitment to them in covenant, his moral law. Come on, what's wrong? The prophet showed up. Well, that would be a sermon. It would be many sermons. We've done some of those through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, Hosea and Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naaman, Baca, Zebaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. You know what they're all about? About prophets coming to Israel, telling Israel to repent, repent, covenantal repentance. You as a people, believing and unbelieving Jews, get back to the, get back to the Mosaic law, get back to the covenant. But then also promises of uh, blessing. And did you, did you notice, well, we're going there next, but in that Deuteronomy 4 passage, that there is that latter days. You can see in these prophecies, these statements to Israel, if she disobeys the Lord, there will be pain and suffering. But there is always, there's a light blinking and it becomes more exaggerated as you go through the Old Testament. There is going to come a final deliverance from this life and experience of suffering. So, here's where we are. God's faithful to his people in the Old Testament. I mean, up to the, even through these captivities. And I found this, this is, one Jewish scholar said this. He says, much of modern Jewish history is a history of Jews abandoning God, the Torah, and the covenant, and replacing them with other gods, beliefs, and other Torahs. That's what a trained a Jew 
said about his own people. And so, but God has been faithful and remains faithful. We'll see that. Thank you, David, for choosing that passage in Romans 11. That's right in keeping with where we're going and where that the word of the Jew himself, the apostle Paul, an extraordinary man, goes to the Gentiles. He said those things. But it is interesting, if I may just a uh, brief sideward glance here. Those gods that Israel has sought. Now you, yeah, Molech, Ammon, the Ammonites, the, uh, the Moabites, and you know, the Canaanites, they all, Baal, they had their gods and goddesses. Well, the Jews, sadly, in what we are now in some of the latter days, they've chosen other gods. And you know, one of the sad things about the story of Israel's suffering is that there have been Jews who've chosen to go off in a direction not only of just being not very good Jews, but actually anti-Jew. Karl Marx, for example. But look at the attraction of so many of these false gods that Israel is pursuing even in these latter years, days. Marxism, communism, secular humanism, socialism, not good. And I need to pause here. You say, well, okay, that's all well and good. That's, you're dusting off the books of history and we look at those. But I think that it bears notice here that there is in the, there is in the national degeneration of Israel and her movement away from God's moral law and his covenant and disobeying him there are things that we can learn as to what happens to nations when they turn their backs on God's moral law. We're living in a time exactly like that today. I mean, it's, it's, it's going at warp speed. Just need I say, just in the last few years, you can see how it has accelerated. I'm not going to camp out on that. I don't want to do a war dance on that one, but I would like to say this, that what you and I are called to be, as Israel was called to be, as God's priest nation, his instrument in a dark world, that what he's called us to be is that, and, and we're reminded, we're combatants in the same kind of spiritual warfare. We are. And this war against the seed of Abraham, we're involved. You're a combatant to varying degrees. We may realize that. We deal with the powers of the world, and the flesh, and the devil. But what are we called to be? Salt, light, salt, a preservative. Keep things from completely rotting in moral, in moral corruption. And light, diffusing light so that we can see reality. Oh, we're... How important it is for Christians to be their presence, <clears throat> for us to be noticed, not self-righteously so, but to be noticed as light. And what does light do? It tells us the way things really are. And if we, who would have thought three or four years ago we would be in such moral insanity as to actually be confused as to what a male and female is? And we read this and we might be mildly amused, but we may be more so, we, we may be deeply, must be deeply grieved <clears throat> at how the human mind, when Romans 1 says, when you suppress the knowledge of God, when you suppress uh, un, un, in ungodliness and unrighteousness, there is a serious price to pay. 
And now the bastions of intellectual ferment in teaching, the Ivy League schools, prestigious, and they are climbing up Fool's Hill so fast with such, I mean, talk about the degrees of anti-Semitism infecting these institutions and others as well. All right, but back off that. I said I wasn't going to do a war dance. I'm going to come back and just remind you this, that you and I have a place in this world as salt and light. Be alert to it. Be in God's word. Don't be as Israel did and be charmed and enticed by thoughts and philosophies and worldviews, even portions of worldviews, that will take you away from what God has revealed in his word. It's everywhere. I've talked to people just in the last few days of how this diversity, equality, inclusion sound good. They glitter on the surface, but it's fool's gold. And it is not where God would have us think and live. Such is corrupting so many businesses. And I was speaking with someone lately, and she was speaking of her son who's going to have to he thinks he's just going to have to quit this particular business. And if I mentioned the business, you would know it readily because it's just gotten so, so steeped in this hostile, hostile teaching and propaganda, hostile to Christianity, and you could say certainly hostile to where our founding fathers would have us be. All right, let's go to this next movement of thought on this matter of Israel's suffering. As Israel's early years were forged in pain and suffering, now I know there is that second sermon that I, <laughs> I have to speak to, why is Israel hated so much? Could I just insert this for clarity's sake? Because Israel's, God's planning of Israel in the midst of a dark, idolatrous world, a demonically infested system of religions, and Israel is called into being and the Lord says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Do you realize how bold that was for Israel to suddenly break on the stage of human history? And this, <clears throat> this is her identity? The revelation of God's moral law? You do this. You don't do that. You live for me. There is only one God. I am that God. No wonder she was hated. And is hated still for that. We're on that later. Well, let's go to this. The suffering of Israel can be traced through her disobedience to God. Sad, sad part of the story. I read to you the Deuteronomy 4, 25 uh, to 28. I need to really have you look at Deuteronomy 28. We didn't, have, we didn't go there because it's such a lengthy section. I'm not going to read it all. But if you are still, if you've, you've got your Bible right in front of you, I need you to look at Deuteronomy 28. It's... <laughs> It is quite the chapter. I mean, you, you look at the totality of this revelation, and it's 68 verses. And this is where God lays out. He does this in Leviticus 26 as well. And it's just simply put, it's this. Israel, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, do what I say, it's going to be wonderful for you. I'm going to make sure that it rains and an agrarian society. You need crops, and your, your flocks will flourish. Your life, you, you, there won't be miscarriages. Your people will be healthy and well, and it will have a thriving, vibrant national life. 
You want it? Just live life the way I say to live it. And you'll cut out all these complications. However, those complications, what are they? Well, okay, let's, uh, let's see if I can run down and get this. Uh, might be just good to go on to the conclusion. I can tell you, a good bit of this chapter is, it's really gloomy. And it fits the way it looks out these windows right now. A little, little gray. And what's coming and he says, if you disobey me, there are curses. And God incrementally sent curses to Israel. That was uh, judgments. You disobey me. And it was it really, it was the measurement of God's patience, his long suffering. Because he didn't give the worst possible spanking at first. He gave the incremental, it's going to get gradually more complicated, more difficult, more painful, and finally, it means exile. Then when you get down in verses uh, 62 of this chapter, and he said, and it shall come about, or excuse me, then you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because you did not obey the Lord your God. And he sketches out here, hi, it's going to really look awful. It shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you, to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. And you shall be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known." And among those nations you shall find no rest, and there should be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. Oh, the therapist would really be Israel and busy in Israel's future. <laughs> so your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall be in dread night and day, and shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, Would that it were evening. And at evening you will say, you shall say, Would that it were morning, because the dread of your heart which you dread, and for the sight of your eyes which you'll see. And the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships, by the way about which I spoke to you, and you shall never see it again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but they will, there will be no buyer. I told you it was stark, and I've left out some of the more difficult portions of this in this chapter. But the scope of Israel's trials and sufferings through the Old Testament revolve around the breaking of God's covenant and his call through the prophets to repent and come back to her covenant obligations. That's the rest of the story in the Old Testament. And yet anticipating all those, in the midst of this, two exiles, two exiles, Syria in 722 BC came into the northern tribes and took them out. That transfer, not quite the Holocaust, no, but serious, serious, serious. And then in 586 BC, the Babylonian army moved that great army out of the north, came in and took the southern tribes out, took them off into Babylon. 
70 years of captivity. But I will tell you this. You know how the Old Testament closes? It's interesting. interesting. The Old Testament closes with Israel back in the land, reestablished in their ancient cities, and once again worshiping the temple of, in the temple of God. Well, you say, well, is there a little glimmer of light there? Well, yeah, it, it portends what there's something much greater in the latter days. But then you get into the 400 years. You know, I, if I said, turn to First and Second Maccabees, would you please this morning? So where is that? Well, that's part of the apocryphal books written in about that period of time between Malachi and the revelation of Christ in the book of Matthew. But this story of in the middle of the, that so-called so silent years, actually, excuse this old pastor for reminiscing, I chose to do a little mini-series on the silent years. That was, that was courageous, <laughs> the silent years, and speak in the, about the silent years. Well, I'm going to go back to it, uh, just a little sidebar here. Next Sunday, I want us to go to the hope of Israel, the hope of Israel and Hanukkah. Do you know about Hanukkah? Ah, you'll be in the right place next Sunday. We're going to look at it in Daniel chapter 11, verses 32. Probably not a passage you visited often in your devotions, but we're going to look at Daniel chapter 11, verses 32 through 35. All right, back to the point here. So here we are, then Israel's finally become, we're tracking Israel and what has spilled out, turned out to her suffering and pain and disenfranchisement from God's blessing. Then we have Israel's rejection of the Messiah. Well, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, consequentially so. And they created a trail of tears. And I, I do need you to turn another. I knew we'd need to do this, so no apologies here. I need you to go over to your New Testament and go to Matthew, please. And Matthew in chapter 23. And what I want you to notice in this passage is this is where Jesus speaks. He's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking about Israel's future. And I want you to look at verses 29 to 39. We'll just, I'm just going to, actually going to read verses 37 to 39 because this is a good uh, uh, conclusion. It kind of pulls together the things that have been said thus far. Because what he's doing in Matthew 23 is that he excoriates the Pharisees. You remember that? You're the blind leading the blind. And he really, he really scalds them for their uh, alternative false uh, representation of the, 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 the story of God's covenant with Israel. And they just turned it inside out and abused it. So the prophets, but here's what Jesus said. Now, the Messiah is being rejected. You're Messiah. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Ah, but don't die. We don't want to go by verse 39. For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From Psalm 118. Ah, there's that little, there's that light, that light that comes through. You see, this is so typical. Jesus, the ultimate prophet, 
that there were dark times and you're going there are dark days coming for Israel, but there is some light. I can see it. I can see it. That's what's spoken to here in this place in Matthew 23. And then if you looked over at Matthew 24, you still there? Matthew 24. Just look at a couple of texts there that will help point us in where we need to go here with this issue of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And he answered them. Here are the disciples there. They've got, a, they've got this trip to the Holy Land. They were born there. They were given. Jesus giving them a tour. They look around at all of these wonderful buildings, all the limestone and just the brilliance, the magnificence of it all in the temple and on the steps of the temple. And then they say, and he answered, well, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when the disciples came up to the point of the out of the point out the temple buildings. Look, look at these, this is magnificent. It's like tourists. Oh, look, this is really wonderful. And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here should be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Beth and I walked among some of those stones. By the way, you don't you can't pick them up. <laughs> I mean tonnage. We're talking tonnage. They're scattered all over the place. Archaeologists have shown the degree to which the Romans tore it all down and what came about in 70 AD. Oh, now there's a story in history that tells this further suffering of Israel. Do you know about 70 AD? It's a, it's a high watermark or a low watermark, as you may want to think of it, because a rebellion of the Jews took place beginning in 66 AD. Now, this is over 30 years after our Lord's ascended back into heaven. And the church is expanding and it's growing. And Paul has written many of his, his, his letters by this time. And the Jews, I, I can't tell you that story. It's, it's so big. Actually, we know very little about it, but we know this much. That Israel suffered grievously in that rebellion against Rome. And as the, the Jewish zealots, the, they became uh, conspirators against Rome. And Romans said... We've had it. So they just show up with about 60,000 legionnaires and they just clean house and kill and destroy hundreds of thousands and destroy it. And then in, then in 135 AD, another one of these uprisings took place and some Bakochba who said, I am the Messiah. Well, the, those who were steeped in the scriptures said, he's not the Messiah. What's he talking about? And he had a following and, it, and went after and killed Roman soldiers. And the Romans says, all right, this is it. And that's when they did leveled everything, leveled everything, renamed everything. And that's when the Romans said, we're going to call this land Palestine, Philistia. How about that for an insult? Naming after the, the, the uh, Philistines. That's where the name came from. And so here I do need to pause kind of a pause. It's a planned pause. And it's that, I said I was going to do simultaneous sermons. All right, this is just a preview of what I'd like to do a little more of. And that's this whole matter of anti-Semitism. The hatred of the Jew. The long hatred of the Jew. And there are, there, there's a lot to read that can help you on this. The term was actually coined by a German agitator, Wilhelm Marr, in 1879, the term anti-Semitism. And you can see the seeds of it beginning to develop. This is, uh, this is, 
I don't have to say some of the things I'm about to say. But the church, the church, they sowed a lot of the seeds of what came to be the kind of anti-Semitism that ultimately helped the Nazis in the Holocaust. You go, oh, what happened? Well, Christian anti-Semitism, you know, there are different kinds of anti-Semitism. Uh, there is um, anti-Zionist uh, anti-Semitism. There is uh, secular anti-Semitism. There's Islamic anti-Semitism. And uh, different kinds of anti-Semitism. And we're seeing it today. Seeing it quite uh, glaringly, boldly. Well, this Christian anti-Semitism... Um, let me give you a quote or two. I, and I don't, don't misunderstand this. We're not saying that, oh my, is this, are we trying to rewrite history? It's like, is this the way people are doing, pulling down statues and trying to destroy the foundation of our republic, uh, the United States of America? Are we doing that when we come to these statements and the attitudes and the way some in the early church and through the centuries spoke of the Jew? No, it's just realized that, you know, we can have feet of, cl feet of clay. And not all were this way, but we've, we have to look at it and realize that some of our spiritual ancestors became part of the problem. And uh, here's, here's a statement. This is uh, John Christus, Christustum. He was a 5th century bishop of Constantinople. He was known as the patron of preachers, well known in church history, and fifth in the 400s. And is what he said. Although such beasts are unfit for work, they are fit for killing. And this is what happened to the Jews. While they were making themselves unfit for work, they grew fit for slaughter. Ooh. Okay, and then this one it it, it gets it gets more um, it gets more painful. Listen to this one. We are even at fault in not avenging all this innocent blood of our Lord and of the Christians, which they shed for three hundred years after the destruction of Jerusalem, and the blood of children they have shed since then which still shines forth from their eyes and from their skin. We are at fault in not slaying them. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. He went off the rails in, in the end of his life. Martin Luther, in case you want to chase this further with thought and reading. At the beginning of his life, he thought, well, we'll just lay it out there for the Jews to see that Messiah has come. And what a precious gift. And he was in the nice mode. And be nice and they will come. <laughs> and it didn't happen. And the Jews dug in and resisted. And Luther got angry. And Luther, at the end of his life, wrote and said things that were just awful, awful. And Hitler hitchhiked on it. And there were even, he, he had statements of Luther posted and spoken of publicly. He himself, Hitler, used them out of the context of his life in the gospel and the Reformation, true. 
but the evil one used them for his advantage. And so there's been this Christian anti-Semitism. And I, it really gets close to home here. And I'm going to read a statement here that uh, I, I don't take pleasure in this. What I'm going to read is a quote from a man by the name of Arnold Fruchtenbaum. Arnold Fruchtenbaum got his doctorate, went to Dallas Theological Seminary, converted Jew. He's good. He's on track. I have his book on Israelology, big, heavy thing, Israelology, Arnold Fruchtenbaum. Well, here's a quote from him. He's, he's with us, but he, he's noticed something, and I'm using it as reference. Unfortunately, many of our, some of, I should just say, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, some in the Reformed faith, and going off after any uh, millennialism took them down roads that become quite regrettable. And one of those was a man by the name of Lorraine Bettner. I have his books in my library. I'm familiar with him. And this is a comment on him by Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He said, according to Bettner, the Jews are totally to blame for their history of persecution. The problem is not that the Gentiles' attitude toward the Jews, not with the uh, Gentiles' attitude toward the Jews, but with the Jews' failure to disappear. The solution is that the Jews should cease to be Jews, and by so doing, they will make a great contribution to the world. It is the Jewish failure to assimilate and has produced tragic results both for the Jews and for, quote, the world at large. He says, Frugnebaum says, this is theological anti-Semitism with a vengeance. So we've had some brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone off the rails on this. Feet of clay, missed it, not helping us, have not helped us. Now, I had wanted to at this point, and I think it would be better part of wisdom to hold this to that other sermon on anti-Semitism. What about Islam? There is Islamic anti-Semitism. I'll just tease you. You want to know that. We'll deal with that later. But it's deep. It's dark. It's demonic. It's devilish. It's not good. We'll help you to understand some what's behind the news, the headlines. Let's, let's move to a third movement in this. Why? The suffering Israel. Israel's suffering will increase to horrific heights in the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, I'm going to have to do a little mix and match with you here. I, I thought, well, I'm jumping back and forth verse to verse. That's not usually my style, but I, I think you need to see some things here. So if you will, you'll be patient here at this point, and look with me in Jeremiah. Could you go back to Jeremiah, please? I'm going to take you to Jeremiah, then I'm going to go over to Daniel chapter 12, then I'm going, I think they're for you, and they're there in your notes. So I hope you won't get lost with this. And Jeremiah in chapter 30, in verses 5 to 7. Listen to the weeping prophet as, oh, Jeremiah, he had to sit in this grotto inside what was an old rock quarry in northern Jerusalem. And watched the, he watched them go out by the hundreds and by the thousands as the Babylonians took them off with rings in their noses, take them off into captivity. And this is the background for Jeremiah. And he told Israel, 
This is what God is sending. He was accused of being unpatriotic for saying that. Oh, but look, let's stay on this. Look at uh, Jeremiah 30 and verses 5 to 7. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see. If a male can give birth, why do... Well, some moderns need that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if a male can give birth, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins <clears throat> as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress and he shall be saved from it. Saved from, see that, see that? It's gonna get bad, 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 bad. But then light, light, light. That's the way the prophets function on many occasions. Now, I'm going over to Daniel and Daniel chapter 12 and verse one, it ties into this. Then if you're still with me by that time, you mind you haven't wandered off to other things, I'm going to take you to Zechariah. I want you to look at Daniel 12th chapter and the first verse. And we're going to be in chapter 11, Lord willing, next week, but here, this is part of that context. Daniel chapter 12 and verse one. Interestingly, right on the heels, if when you track through Daniel, he goes off and describes the coming career of the Antichrist and the havoc he's going to raise with Israel and the death and destruction that will come because they will give some temporary allegiance to him. Okay, but one of 12, Daniel 12, one. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. There it is again. It's gonna get bad, really, really, really bad. And then there is hope. Are you still with me? All right, I'm going over to the book of Zechariah. Mix and match, we're showing that these things, showing how these things do fit together. Zechariah chapter 13. How bad will things get? Well, we get, a, we get a comment here on it in Zechariah chapter 13. Now, just a moment of context, a reminder of context that what's here is that Armageddon, Armageddon, which is a, really a campaign in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. It's not just one battle, it's a series of battles. And Israel, it gets to the point, it gets to this point, according to verse 8. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, and the third will be left in it. One-third of Israel will be left. Two-thirds will be killed. The armies will have surrounded Jerusalem, and it looks like imminent total destruction, a final holocaust seems to be in the picture here for Israel. Well, I'm going to have to hit the fast forward button. When you go through the book of Revelation, and I, I was going to take you over to some passages in, in Matthew, and, and, and I just fly over in Revelation. Somebody came up to me and said they're reading in the book of Revelation. Oh, I can see why there is some magnetism in that book at this time in our church history. But what we find in the book of Daniel, how bad, that time of Jacob's trouble, that's the tribulation period. That's the 70th week of Daniel. 
which I had to ask for that chart to be inserted here, and we're going to give it more attention in the, in, in the next couple of weeks. And it's given in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And uh, here I'm giving you some things that maybe there's some cobwebs on it, but just take that for what we will we'll be dealing with. But you know, in the book of Revelation, it's, it's going to be so terrible, so terrible, that one of the things that we know that in the sixth, in the sixth seal, if the present world population of 8 billion, I checked this out, 8 billion, if, it, if a fourth of the earth's population, according to uh, Revelation 6, if a f in one of the opening seals, if a fourth of the earth's population is killed, that's 2 billion people. It would be the combined population of North America, South America, and Europe. But it's going to be an awful time. You can think about the Spanish flu. You can think about COVID. You can think about any environmental catastrophe. Or as the, the Jews refer to the catastrophe of the, of the Holocaust, the Nakba, the Nakba, big word in Arabic, and what it says, and what it says to Israel, the catastrophe of the Holocaust. All right, I, I have to go by that, and I have, to, I have to pedal fast. Here's where I'm going to conclude and then go back to what had been the pre- uh, the entrance into my conclusion. We allow that. You still with me? All right. I don't see anybody sleeping. Uh, if you will, now stay with me on this one. I'm going to go ahead and say, well, how should we then live? How do we, we see the story of Israel's suffering unfolding in Scripture, and it just comes ultimately to a mighty torrent by the end time, by the time of the tribulation, prior to the return of Christ. It's going to look in dire straits, awful, well, I think one thing we ought to do is we ought to thank God for the spiritual and moral benefits brought into the world by the Jew. Now, this, please, caveat here, this is not to disparage the Palestinian people. Pray for them. I was just, earlier this morning, I was reading of some, some things the Palestinian people are dealing with. And it's, sidebar, allow me, that... What's happening in the West Bank right now, and the Jewish settlers who have moved into that area, and this has created a lot of trouble for Israel and a lot of criticism of Netanyahu, is that the, many of the Jewish settlers in that West Bank that was set apart for the Palestinians, these settlers are going in and are roughhousing, threatening, and with violence, and over a thousand Palestinians have come out of their villages and trying to flee. Where they will go, I don't know. So things are going to get worse, and Hamas is very active in the West Bank and is picking up on such discontent, said they, having said that. But don't forget Israel's chosenness. God is not through with the Jew. And that doesn't, it's not a carte blanche, an excuse for everything Israel may do, but they are a legitimate state, a family, of, a nation in the family of nations in 1948. And they became so. But they immediately were sought to be dislodged from that and to be destroyed in the war of 19, in, in 1948. And then subsequent to that, in the Six-Day War in 67, and then the Passover, uh, the war of, uh, in 1973 and, and other occasions. So, but let's thank God for what the Jew has given to us. I can't expand on that. I'll save that for my anti-Semitism study later. Resist the evil that singles out the Jew for hatred. You don't have to say, well, the Jews do everything right and every, all the Palestinians do everything wrong. 
not speaking about Hamas, distinguishing between the Palestinians and Hamas. Hamas is an evil, 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 demonic power in the midst of the Palestinian people. And so what we do get is that uh, we, we need to pray for, pray for Israel. They'll make wise decisions. I, I, this is not time and place for Hamas war. Oh, believe me, I'd like to talk about it, but just to say that pray, pray that the, the right decisions will be made and pray for the Palestinians and understand the pro-Palestinian marches. Folks, I have to be blunted with this. I don't know another way to say it. Much of these pro-Palestinian statements are simply, it's a rejuvenate, it's neo-Nazism is what's going on. And it's, it's ugly. It's scary. If you're a Jew, very scary as to what's taking place in this resurgence. The run of the cover of anti-Semitism being pulled off. I would say we lament the persecution the church has contributed to the suffering of the Jews. We, we, we own up to that. Oh, Lord, am I, whatever your theology, even to my brothers and sisters in Christ who have a different eschatology than I do, post-millennial and all-millennial brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm not saying that they're, they're anti-Semitic, but, you, you know, you can, be, you, can have your, you can have your doctrinal ducks all lined up, and you can understand Israel's place in the plan of God and still be just indifferent. I mean, yes, hey, what's something going over there, going on in the Middle East? I don't know, what's it all about? That's not a good thought process there, <laughs> not one at all. Pray for Jews to believe in their Messiah and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray. So we pray for Lori, uh, Wes and Lori Tabor today. Pray for them and the other ministries directly to the Jews. And maybe you have a Jew in your circumference of friends. Pray for the Jews that they'll come to know the Messiah. That's the great need, the great need. Now, I, I am there and circling back to what I wanted to say with regard to Romans chapter 11 and Zechariah 14.4. I can summarize in a sentence or two, and I think that will be uh, suitable for the time we have. When you go into Zechariah 4.4, you know what you, 14.4? Here, here's what you get. Here, I'm going to read it. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall be, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, from very wide, by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Do you know what precipitates that earthquake? The coming of the Son of Man on the Mount of Olives. And when the nations of the earth have surrounded Jerusalem, suddenly all eyes shift to what's happening there. Imagine that. Let your sanctified imagination go with it. Ah, we come back. Zechariah 12, 10. This fits in. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and a pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have, they, they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So at this time when the Lord comes, there is going to be a turning of Israel, though that remnant, to see that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. He's their Messiah. He, we believe, oh, we made him, oh, we repent, and they turn to him. Then Romans 11 and 26 and 27, 
And in this way, all Israel will be saved, both physically and spiritually at that time, those who are alive. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So what happens? God turns out to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will be seen. And he will set up his millennial kingdom. And there will be this beautiful, sweet harmony between Jew and Gentile in the kingdom. And that is the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then Isaiah 2, this tops it off, this tops it off. Isaiah 2, 3 and 4. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war in any more. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you for these promises, the hope. Lord, if there is a man or a woman, a boy or girl in this auditorium who's never bent their knee before you to receive the gift of eternal life and faith in Jesus Christ, Turn them to you today. But God, revive us as your people that will do no harm toward the Jew, but we will love them and pray for them. And Lord, come, Lord Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Mosaic Covenant, which was a conditional covenant. Then there was the Davidic Covenant, that where Christ will come and rule his king over his kingdom. And then there's the New Covenant, that kind of throws us a little off stride sometimes because it looks like, well, the new covenant is fulfilled. Yes and no. Listen to this. This is, I'll read the passage in Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, this passage just drips with a lot of important, important truth regarding the, what the meaning of the cross is and the anticipation of the cross to the coming kingdom. But I want to say this, that the blood of the covenant, that's the new covenant. It was forged with Israel. Oh, you can see this quite plain in the Old Testament. It's Israel. Well, where do we get into on this? Why are, why are we doing this? We sit under the tree of the new covenant. We are entered into, we were grafted as wild olive branches into the promise to, to Abraham, into the tree of blessing. And so we get, we benefit the blessings of that covenant that God made with Israel. If we will come and die for sins, there, very, there it was the very night before, on the next door within, what, 12 hours, he would be crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God's wrath fell on his son for our sins. Let's take the cup. We have the cup and the bread combined, and let's take it and thank the Lord for what it's speaking how it speaks to us.
this new covenant, unrepeatable. Oh, Hebrews makes much of this. Once for all, once for all. Jesus is not on a crucifix dying. He died. The cross is empty. Tomb's empty. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Let's take the cup. And first, we take this small token of the bread which the Lord broke with his disciples. It's a matter of remembrance with a mind that moves upward toward God in thanks to him that we have a substitute. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And he told his disciples, you take and eat. This is my body broken for you. The disciples had a difficult time with the blood part in a violent death. Is this the way Hamashiach, Messiah, should leave us? Is this the last chapter? He dies a violent death as a criminal. Is that it? The disciples got a little confused. Ah, but we know the story. It was because he was bearing the wrath of God for our sins that judgment would be removed. And he told his disciples, all of you drink of this. Sweet to the taste. This is, represents my blood shed on the cross for our sins. The men are going to come. And while they come, I want to read a passage to you. Keep tuned in. This is from Ezekiel 36. Remember what I said about the prophets? What I said about the new covenant? Don't miss this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Take that to heart, and let's rejoice in the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful promises to Israel. And Lord, that we can partake in them by your grace. We who were wild olive branches grafted in to the blessings promised to Abraham. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.